The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. Oh my goodness, lots going on here in the land of the best book ever. We have just come to the end of the yearly cycle of reading the Torah, and now, this week, we are beginning that cycle again. That process all coincides with the high holidays, so the Jewish calendar is almost screaming with activity and intensity this time of year, and so we found it was pretty hard to get the podcast out these last couple of weeks while we were running around from holiday service to holiday service, but... We released our bonus classes for the last two weeks, and we hope you got your your Parsha fix from them. But the other big thing that's happening here in in my Parsha land is that I just released a book. It's my first book, and uh, it's a book, of course, on the Parsha. It's actually called Parsha Nut, like nuts for the Parsha, but it's also a play on words because the Hebrew word Parshanut means the study of the Parsha. So Parsha Nut, Parshanut, one word. It's available on Amazon right now for just $21.99, not bad. And so if you like what we do here, the deep dive into the weekly Torah reading and the vast universe of commentary that's built up around it, then you're going to love this book, which has 54 even deeper dives into each of the 54 Parshot. And along the way, I hope you're going to get a pretty good education on the whole history of Torah commentary, this genre of Jewish literature I love so much that I've now devoted a blog, two podcasts, and a book to. It's a full-blown obsession here with me, and I hope I can get you hooked as well. So buy my book. <laughs> Yay! That's uh, that's Parshanut again, one word. Okay, now speaking of the Parsha, as I said, we've got two this week. We're starting the Torah again, and so that's Parshat Bereshit, the beginning of Genesis, one of the most epic and majestic readings the Torah has to offer. But then there's also the last Parsha of the Torah, which is Parshat Vezota Bracha. And poor Parshat Vezota Bracha almost always gets forgotten, lost in the holiday shuffle. Because unlike all the other Parshot, this last one doesn't have a full week and a Shabbat assigned to it. Instead, we read it, as we just did, on Simchat Torah, as part of the big celebration closing out our reading cycle, our holiday cycle, in the midst of great singing and dancing and sometimes drinking, a celebration because we finished the Torah again. But that means that we end up studying Parshat Vazot Bracha less than we do the other Parshot. And that is a shame, because this is the end of the Torah, the end of the best book ever, and so surely the best book ever is going to have a good ending. The Zota Bracha means, and this is the blessing, because it begins with Moses blessing each of the tribes of Israel, one after the other. 
It's actually reminiscent of Jacob's blessings to his sons, which ended the book of Genesis. So there's an echo there. The whole Torah ends the way its first book did. And there's lots of interesting work to be done there, comparing the two sections. But then, when all the blessings are over, then we come to the final scene in the Torah, the scene which records Moses' death. It's actually a matter of some debate. Who wrote these last lines? Because it seems strange to say that Moses could have written about his own death. So some say Joshua did it, while others say, no, 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 Moses wrote the whole thing through prophecy, and he wrote the last lines as he was crying. It's all very poignant, very full of emotion. Our leader, the hero of the story, is leaving us and writing his way out. And so with all that context in mind, what I especially want to point out on this last podcast of our cycle is that some of those very last lines of the Torah, as Moses is dying, are filled with great images of tenderness and intimacy. So when Moses actually dies, in chapter 34, verse 5, it says, Moses died there, the servant of the Eternal, in the land of Moab, by the word of God, but literally by the mouth of God. This strange phrasing. So, of course, Rashi jumps in and says, by the mouth of God means with a kiss. Moses died with a divine kiss. What a way to go out. And then the next line tells us that God buried Moses. And no one to this day knows where he's buried. So God took the time to bury Moses, almost like family. And the place where Moses was laid to rest is something only God knows. Some of our commentators have speculated that's so that we wouldn't turn Moses' grave into a shrine and worship Moses. And that may be. But it also means that Moses and God had their own private funeral, and that God is the only one whom we can imagine visiting the grave, paying respects. It's such a human act, burial, that the image turns God into Moses' caretaker, and then turns God into a mourner for this man that God knew so unusually closely. And how well did God and Moses know each other? The third to last line of the Torah speaks to this directly. Never again did a prophet arise in Israel like Moses, whom the Eternal knew face to face. Panim el panim. Face to face. That's pretty direct, pretty intimate. They stood face to face, gazed into each other's faces. But there's a big problem with that image, because we already learned that no one can stand before God, and surely no one can see God's face. In fact, we learned that back in Exodus, when God asked Moses what God could do for him, what God could give him, anything, anything you want. And Moses said, Hareni nad kvodecha. I want to see you. Show me. Show me yourself. Show me your glory. Again, the, the deep longing for intimacy in this special relationship. 
But it's impossible, God says. I can show you some of my goodness, but lotu chalirot et panai. You can't see my face. Ki lo adam Because a human being cannot see my face and live. It's too much. Too overwhelming to see God's face, whatever that even means, would annihilate a person, any person, even Moses. So then, how can the Torah end by saying that God and Moses knew each other panim el panim, face to face? Isn't that impossible? I can only conclude that it had something to do with that kiss. That final kiss, the divine kiss of death. Because in order to kiss someone, you have to be face to face. And so, in Moses' final moment, he got what he'd always wanted. He saw God's face coming towards him to show him love and tenderness. And to kiss him goodbye. Because God was right. You can't see that face and live. You can only see it, perhaps, in that moment before death. And so the Torah ends with a kiss, with intimacy. And I think that's because the Torah has always been about this special relationship that Moses had with God. A special relationship that we have with God, but that we have because Moses had a very special, very unique, very intimate relationship with God. The Torah is the product of that relationship. And another way to say that is that revelation is only possible through relation. Contact with the divine requires intimacy. And since the image we use to describe that intimacy is face-to-face, then on some level, that must be true also about us. When we stand face-to-face, when we speak face-to-face with one another, we're revealing ourselves. Every conversation, then, has the potential for a new revelation. And all of that brings me to the last thing that I want to share with you, which is what the next season of Best Book Ever is going to look like. Here we are, after all, starting the Torah again, and so we're starting a new cycle of this podcast. But I don't want to do what we already did again, which is me speaking to you for 15 minutes every week, because I'm yearning, as we read these last lines of the Torah, for some face-to-face contact. I'm looking to be in conversation, in dialogue, in relationship, because that's how the Torah is really meant to be studied. And so, for the second season of Best Book Ever, we're switching the format. This year, we're going to host a series of conversations. I'm going to be inviting guests onto the podcast, some of my favorite thinkers and scholars and people from all sorts of backgrounds and experiences, to join me in investigating a particular story or theme or topic in the Torah. We'll have a back and forth, a dialogue, and hopefully experience some new revelation in in real time. We're going to follow the schedule of the reading of the five books of the Torah, rather than every single Parsha. So when we're reading Genesis, we'll be exploring the stories of Genesis. And then when it comes time, we'll switch to Exodus and then Leviticus and so on. And we'll hear not just what I have to say about those stories, but what historians and comedians and scientists and politicians and astrologers and anyone we can think of with a unique perspective who can bring fresh eyes and insights into the best book ever. 
So we hope you'll follow us along here at Best Book Ever on our second tour through the Torah. We're so excited to start all over again from the very beginning. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitchuli by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already? If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I K A R L A. Thanks a lot, and see you next week. Thank you.